are listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Thanks for listening. My name is Scott Corbin, and I have the privilege today of sitting with Dr. Jim Hamilton. Jim is the professor of biblical theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as the preaching pastor of Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Jim, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, Jim, just to get started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your testimony? Um, Specifically, how did you come to know the Lord? And beyond that, how did you... um, discern a call to ministry, and when kind of all did that happen? Sure. So I became a Christian uh, in a Christian home. My parents took us to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I grew up in Arkansas. My dad was a high school basketball coach, and uh, we were always involved in our local church. And I can remember as a seven- or eight-year-old boy uh, wanting to respond to the invitation that the pastor gave, recognizing that God was holy, that I was a sinner, and that Christ had died to save sinners, and then that he rose from the dead to triumph over death, and I believed that, and so when the pastor was convinced that I genuinely believed and was showing evidence of having been renewed, uh, my parents allowed me to um, proceed with baptism, and then um, grew up in the church, and as a college student, was introduced to um, some some more intensive discipleship, began to memorize scripture, and as a college student, really felt a desire to understand the Bible. And that's what led me into seminary and, and on a path to being someone who teaches the Bible. Yeah. And um, at Dallas Theological Seminary, some of these, these issues were being debated, but people weren't taking strong stands, frankly, on... Uh, say, advocating for the complementarian position. It was more um, like the, uh, the different views were being set out and um, the, the, good, the strong points and, the, and the, the pros and cons of each position, position were exposed to us, and they sort of left us to make up our own mind. Mm. And then when I, when I came to Southern Seminary to pursue a PhD, I came under the influence of people like Tom Schreiner and Bruce Ware, and as they began to discuss the importance of these issues and and insist that the Bible actually does have a position here. And, you know, Tom Schreiner's writings were really what sealed it for me because I could see that he, he was answering every possible egalitarian objection, mm-hmm. that, that all of these objections and, and arguments, um, Schreiner was, was able to meet the objections and answer the questions and defeat the arguments and all of that was very compelling to me hmm. and I, I'm, I'm I'm still convinced by the uh, the way that he has articulated these hmm. these matters that's great and so one of the uh, you might say kind of your major discipline is biblical theology yes and so um, you know I know you I've read your stuff and so I kind of know some of these conversations through that we've had about biblical theology but how would you briefly define biblical theology and why does biblical theology matter for issues like the family for issues like gender complementarity and these types of things yeah so I argue that that biblical theology is the attempt to understand and embrace the interpretive perspective of the biblical authors and so what I mean by that is 
in, in coming to terms with, with any author, you really have to come to an understanding of how that author views the world and then how that author understands the broader framework within which the author sets his or her narrative and, and what the author regard, regards to be cardinal truths and, and what the author regards to be moral or immoral behavior. And everybody has a perspective like this. And I think biblical theology is the attempt to understand this perspective of the biblical authors. And for the biblical authors, the, the big story of the world includes God making uh, man in his own image, male and female, as the, the image and likeness of the living God. So, so I think that biblical theology is very important for this discipline because, because it, it, it uh, speaks to human sexuality in the same way that it speaks to the issues of creation and the historical Adam and these kinds of things. That if you, if you go away from the Bible's account of what we are as human beings or how God has created us as people who are sexed, people who have um, either male or female biology, if you go away from that, what you're doing is you are substituting the beginning of the Bible's story with, with some other story. So it's sort of like trying to read The Hobbit as the introduction to the Harry Potter novels. And, and it's just not going to have the same resonance. It's not going to tell the same story. You're, you're not going to understand how Harry wound up on the Dursley's doorstep if you've got Gandalf banging on Bilbo's, Bilbo's door there at Underhill. Or even probably more likely Betty Friedan, you know, before as the intro to The Hobbit yes, or something. Yes, yes, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't set the story up. And, and so I think that this is, this is vital to understanding the Bible, and I think it's vital to who we are as human beings mm. because in, as I understand biblical theology and what it means to be the, in the image and likeness of God, the idea is that the world is a cosmic temple. God created this whole world as a place that would be saturated with his glory. And whereas the pagans build a little structure that represents the cosmos and put in there a piece of rock or wood or molten iron or copper or gold or whatever that is meant to be the visible representation of the invisible God, in the true story, the living God has built the world as his structure that represents who he is and where his authority is to be exercised, and then the image and likeness that represents the visible representation of the invisible God that, that brings to bear his authority and character in his temple, that's what we are as human beings. Mm. And, and God created us uh, as male and female. Mm. And so this is what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. Mm. Um, and then, then what God charged them to do, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, a male can't do that without a female. And a female can't do that without a male. They're only going to be able to, to, to pursue obedience to that first command through complementarity. They're going to have to work together. In the, in the Bible's story, it becomes clear that you're going to have this permanent, exclusive union in marriage between one man and one woman for the purpose of, of obeying this initial command to be fruitful and multiply. And even one of the things that's with that is the Propagation of children. Exactly. And so yes. here's, here comes these children who are part of this, yes. in Israel, this kind of this covenant household. Yes. And one of the things that you've done or that you've, that I've read of yours is you've talked about kind of the nature of even parenting yes. and things like the Proverbs. And so could you briefly talk about that? Sure. So this is really part, it goes right out of what we were just talking about with the, with the creation where 
God says, um, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so the idea is that the, the image bearer of God who brings to bear God's character and authority and presence in God's temple is now to multiply and fill the earth. Well, this is only going to be able to happen if a certain character and a certain worldview and a certain approach to life is inculcated mm. in, in the multiplied ones, mm. in the children. Mm. And so this is why Deuteronomy 6 commands fathers to teach the scriptures diligently to their children. And I would argue that this is exactly what Solomon is modeling in Proverbs as he addresses his son repeatedly. And then as he uses language that sounds a lot like Deuteronomy 6 when he says, you know, inscribe these sayings on the tablet of your heart and bind them on your arm and, and don't let steadfast love and faithfulness leave you. This is all right out of the, the Pentateuch, the Torah. And so in the book of Proverbs, what's really happening is, the, in a sense, the father not only of the household but of the nation, the king, Solomon, is modeling what a good father is to do for his children by, by repristinating in fresh and memorable ways the teaching of the scriptures. And, and then this is all designed to, um, to image forth the likeness of, of the creator, the, the glory of God ultimately, so that as the children are fruitful and multiply and they take the knowledge of God to the next generation and they, they, they image forth God's character, the glory of the Lord covers the dry lands as the waters cover the sea. That's great. And, and, and you're not only kind of just talking about that in theory, but you yourself are a father of five. We're doing our best. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some ways in which you as a father um, are, are trying to emulate? I mean, just practically, if for some of our listeners, viewers, what are ways in which you as just a father of your children sure. are, are working to try to inculcate those virtues and, and those habits within your children? Sure. So, you know, we're just doing our best to obey Deuteronomy 6. And, and one way to translate that phrase, you shall teach them diligently, one way to translate that is you shall repeat them constantly. Hmm. So one thing I try to do, if I find, and, and in Deuteronomy 6, it says um, you shall repeat them constantly when you lie down. So at the end of the day, um, what, what we do is um, whatever passage is going to be preached at Kenwood Baptist Church the next Sunday, so, so um, I'm not sure what's being preached this Sunday because I'm not preaching, <laughs> but um, the, last week I preached Psalm 33, and so at the end of the day as we're putting the kids to bed, we read Psalm 33 together. Mm. And, and the kids are sponges, mm. you know? They, they, there have been weeks, so we do this, we try to do this every night leading up to the sermon, and then Sunday night, we try to talk about it. Mm. And there have been times when a six-year-old in our family will basically rehearse the passage. Mm. This was particularly the case in John's Gospel, mm. where it's narrative, you know, and, it, mm. and they can remember what happens. After. And, and there were nights where my six-year-old, who's now seven, would say, well, this is what Jesus did first, and then he did this, and then mm. he said that. And, then, and he just walks through almost having memorized, mm. say, John 10. It was really glorious to see. So we, we try to um, teach them diligently or repeat them constantly. When you lie down, when you rise up, um, my wife, uh, we homeschool our kids, and they start with Bible every morning. Mm -hmm. And they, they're either doing catechism questions or memory verses. Um, so, so when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when, you, when you're going from one place to another, if I find myself in the car with one or two of my kids and nobody's saying anything, um, we'll start going over Bible memory verses. Um, and then um, 
uh, when you sit in your house, you know, mm -hmm. so, so moving from place to place, sitting around, getting up in the morning, going to bed at night, we're trying to do this all the time. And then mm -hmm. the other thing that Deuteronomy 6, 6 says, it says, um, you shall teach them diligently and you shall talk of them. So once we've, once we've sort of gone over what the verse says, then we try to go back over what it means and, and what, the, what the logic of it is and why the Bible says this and why the Lord wants us to live this way. Mm. So that, you know, that's some of the things that we're trying to do to, mm. to, to help them, to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and help them to love the Lord. Yeah. And so you're also a pastor. So in addition to being a professor and a father, <laughs> you're a pastor. And... Um, and, and my pastor, I should say. And so I'm just curious, um, too, if you can maybe speak about, you know, with in thinking about the church as kind of, we might even say, the typological fulfillment of the family yes. in the New Covenant age, what are ways in which <clears throat> we can even be thinking, or pastors can even be thinking about their churches as these kind of, um, these, these families of God in the New Covenant age, what that means in terms of teaching, what that means in terms of Women teaching women, Titus two stuff. I'd just be curious if you could. Speak sure. That. So you know, I take in in First Timothy three when Paul says, "I hope to come to you," but I'm writing these things so that if I'm delayed, you will know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. I think that's sort of the governing statement in First Timothy. So Paul is giving Timothy instructions about how things are to go in the church, and as you said, a lot of it is family style. Mm. So. Yes, there's 1 Timothy 2.12, women are not to teach or exercise authority over men. But there's also things like um, 1 Timothy 5, you know, um, treat um, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with all purity and don't rebuke an older man harshly, but um, speak to him as you would a father. So there's the, there are these family dynamics that are supposed to be at work in the household of God, just mm -hmm. as you've articulated. And, 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 and in, in part, it's as though... The pastor is something like, well, he's the shepherd, mm. and and it, you know, I, we don't. Nobody at Kenwood calls me father, <laughs> but there's sort of something to that where mm. there's there's a um, there, the way that I relate to my kids, the way that I care for my family, is the way that I'm supposed to care for and watch over um, the flock, mm. and and um, I'm not perfect at this by any stretch. I mean, this is. Who is adequate? Who is sufficient for these things? We need the Holy Spirit, and I definitely need the forgiveness of the congregation that I <laughs> that I often fail. But but this is this is the aim. The aim is to to embody what the Lord created us to be hmm. as men and women and fathers and husbands and children and 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 brothers and sisters and yeah and and all in the household of God under under our heavenly Father. Yeah. And what are some of the ways that you're encouraging? especially the men in your congregation, to be good fathers and to be good husbands? You know, I think that, I, I know this is the case in my own household, my own family. Nothing pleases my wife more than for me to take the initiative. Mm. So she doesn't like it when I ask her to pray at the meal. Mm. And, and she likes it when I take the initiative, particularly things like leading the family in family devotions, and then she really likes it when I'm, when I'm demonstrating evident care in not just reading the passage and sort of ticking off the box, but then engaging the kids with questions. Mm. So teach them diligently and talk about these things. Mm. So 
Jill really appreciates it when we will read a passage of scripture and then I will ask a, a question that is that shows that I've been thinking about my child, I've been thinking about the way that he relates to his brothers or sister or his mother, and thinking about this passage, and I'm trying to bring him to see how this speaks to his life mm. or her. Mm-hmm. And um, a- another thing that she deeply appreciates is at the end of the day, if I will initiate us praying together before we go to bed, mm. before we go to sleep, um, my, my wife, and I think this is true with this, I know this to be true with other guys in our congregation, they, they cherish being spiritually led by their husbands. Mm. And so last week, um, I was having lunch with a guy in our church who's not connected in any way with the seminary, and, and, I, and I was just encouraging him to, to, to do some of these things. To, before the end of the day, call his kids together, call his wife together, I said, brother, I, I don't think there's anything that you could do that would make your wife happier mm. than for you to, to read the scriptures to the family and then lead the family in prayer before you put the kids to bed. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us on Danvers Audio. We are so grateful for your work, for your scholarship, even your contributions to JBMW and in, in the past. And so mm. thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You got, I'm so pleased with what's happening. This mm. is a joy to see. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please visit us at cbmw.org, where you will find more resources to equip you to think biblically. We would also like to tell you about an exciting upcoming opportunity at CBMW. In April, we will be hosting a T4G pre-conference, The Beauty of Complementarity. The event will feature 27 speakers in two days, including John Piper, Jackie Hill Perry, Mary Cassian, Alistair Begg, and Darren Patrick. Please visit our website for more details. Again, thanks for listening.